an intrapreneur is someone that doesn't ignore his ideas and that actually gives attention to ideas and doesn't underestimate the impact that his ideas or her ideas can have on the business and even on society. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks that you tuned in again to listen and to learn. We are Uli and Avery, and we are very, very grateful to welcome our today's genius mind, Menon El Kayubi, live from Egypt. Menon is Vice President for Business Development at Siemens. She's a software engineer, innovation and design thinking coach, and a startup mentor. But... Enough of an introduction. Let's get it started. Menon, can you maybe quickly describe yourself? So who are you and how did your path actually lead you to Siemens? Sure. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited uh, to be part of this exciting podcast. I'm a software engineer by education and I started my career as a software engineer in France after my education there. And uh, gradually, I moved back to Egypt, my home country, and started working at Siemens in the IT department, where I've moved and had different internal transformations until I um, ended up working for business development. So I learned a lot at Siemens, both from the technical and non-technical part and business side. And that was part of my original education, actually, um, which I had a minor in, in business uh, back in, in my master's degree. And this double or dual education that I had actually uh, allowed me to understand both the technical and non-technical worlds and actually translate the specifications to the non-technical people and vice versa and kind of speak two languages, technical software and also business. And of course, artificial intelligence is much, much more mature than it was back when I was in college. And I'm really excited to be with you talking about the role of AI and the ecosystem in Egypt and the latest developments. Awesome, and super thankful that you you got some time, right? You know, having this conversation with us. You you already mentioned somehow ecosystem, right? I guess collaboration and you know playing and also an AI ecosystem, right, is is such of importance. And you see, you know, the, every company and every corporation as well as academia, um, you know, emphasizes the impact and the importance of ecosystems. What, from your perspective, globally, you know, uh, in this corporation, and what's what's your stake, right? What makes the European AI ecosystem? System pretty awesome, and what is the thoughts and what is the you know the ecosystem in the Egypt actually developing? Is our what's the status there? Can you share some of your views here? Sure. From where I see it, at least in Egypt, the ecosystem is also inspired a lot by, by what's going on abroad, and whether it's in Europe or in uh, the US, because now the world is like sometimes some people call it like a, a village where the borders are, have really diluted and became transparent thanks to technology. So everyone actually is kind of connected and we've seen it a lot during COVID times, but even before COVID people and, and let's say young people connected through social media are also learning from each other across borders. And what I've seen in Egypt, because of almost 70% of the population is under 35, that actually drives and fuels the number of startups and students actually that want to actually start their ideation and transform their ideations into, let's say, empower their ideas by technology to do something and, and create something. And when it comes to AI, there's a lot of energy going on in Egypt, a lot of things going on. The, the efforts are becoming more and more harmonized thanks to the government's efforts. But let's say 
there's a lot of speed and let's say things that happen fast forwarding the ecosystem development since last year, starting with the National AI Council in Egypt that was developed by the, the, the Minister of Communication and Information Technology. And, and it has representatives from all of, of the ministries, the key ministries that would drive the digital transformation empowered by AI. And there's also an, an AI strategy that includes also the establishment of an AI application center in Egypt, AI incubators that are actually created by the government for small businesses and startups, and machine learning training programs and data analytics training programs by the Minister of Communication and Information Technology this year. So there's so much going on. And of course, COVID, fast forward the things, but even before COVID, there was this hype and let's say this trend that was driven by a local demand, let's say from the market, to actually have local uh, solutions developed, which are much more competitive and, and, and let's say from a price competitiveness perspective, affordable also for the local businesses to do a digital transformation using locally developed software solutions. And the number of AI startups is really growing. So let's say the long story short, it's there's so much going on. And every month there's something new, if you even look at or Google artificial intelligence in Egypt. Okay, startup ecosystem and entrepreneurs basically are growing. That's, that's uh, awesome to see and awesome to hear. We just had in the pre-discussion, right? It's like, oh, that was a, a bit of a time, right? When we met in the entrepreneurs bootcamp on AI, actually, right? In the, in the Siemens AI lab. Yeah. And what's, you know, entrepreneur is, I guess, a bit a, a different twist as an entrepreneur, right? Uh, entrepreneur in a, in a large corporation. Can you share what is for you an entrepreneur, right? You were a, a mentor, right? Uh, participating that, enabling, supporting, empowering, right? What is an entrepreneur for you? An entrepreneur is someone that doesn't ignore his ideas and that actually gives attention to ideas and doesn't underestimate the impact that his ideas or her ideas can have on the business and even on society. So it's it's someone that is creative. And I personally believe that everyone is creative in his own or her own way. But the difference between someone who's creative and someone who's creative and takes a step towards actually communicating the ideas, trying to actually find synergies between ideas, ecosystems, resources, even it doesn't have to be someone who has a technical background uh, because a lot of the innovation in now that uh, is about business modeling. We have AI ideas or, or AI empowered ideas, but then how do we actually transform uh, the business and have a new business model using that technology? So basically anyone in any company in, internally can become an intrapreneur by actually just connecting ideas to the right people and resources and trying to actually find, let's say, a a small, let's say, starting point and gathering people who are like-minded and have a passion and driven by purpose, basically. So let's say they people connect and gather around a certain purpose in an organization, work toward making, towards making that purpose. Even before people call them entrepreneurs, they are entrepreneurs by driving ideas to see how their ideas can really develop and grow and make an impact. That's nicely said, actually. So entrepreneurs are folks that do not underestimate the impact in an organization. Nicely, I love that. But uh, on the other side, you know, uh, I guess 
you know, there's two sides of, you know, views I hear most often. One is the entrepreneurs, like there can't be an entrepreneur because without risk and without personal risk, right? You can't make the entrepreneur journey, right? Because you need to sense the, uh, feel a sense of, of urgency, right? Of, uh, you know, embracing uncertainty and risk-taking. Is that still doable, do you think? Or are we, are we, are we in a bubble? There. I would actually, it's a, it's a very interesting actually question and you're totally, absolutely right. If, if I would put it in my own definition, I would say that an intrapreneur is a part-time entrepreneur. By saying part-time, part-time that involves time and risk. Let's put, let's take from a financial perspective. If someone is an entrepreneur outside a corporate environment, of course, there's a lot of risk in the money that's invested and the time as well, but the reward is also equally measurable in that sense. But if we're an intrapreneur, it's for me a part-time entrepreneur, but within an organization that even facilitates and let's say alleviates the risk that could happen because you're not investing the money, you're actually investing time, which is still valuable resource, but it's about convincing. You do the same efforts to convince investors, but instead of having external investors and stakeholders, you would have internal ones that would still invest time, machines, tools, resources and money eventually so that that's how i would see it that each one has its own advantages and, and, and disadvantages let's say but at the end both can even create an impact in a different way the risk and the return on investment are fair enough here and here and sometimes starting by becoming an intrapreneur if you're a corporate environment can be one of the steps to get enough experience to succeed as an entrepreneur uh, later on depending on how um, comfortable you are with with taking a risk and also having a, a, a mentoring, uh, let's say mentors within the organization you're in is sometimes easier to get. Although the ecosystem for startups, supporting startups now and in, in, in all the countries are evolving and, and providing mentors, as you mentioned, I'm mentoring startups outside of the company as well. And that also enriches my experience by mentoring startups in different sectors, learning from them as much as I can support them. Wow, what an interesting perspective. And you just mentioned like the ecosystem and the mentorship and that maybe also includes having trainings. And I've heard that you are also doing digitalization workshops or awareness sessions for technologies such as AI or IoT or the industry 4.0. How do those sessions typically look like and why is it actually important to have those sessions anyways? Let's say that I, the way I, I do and organize a session is a bit uh, unconventional because I, I usually like to experiment, depending on the audience, of course. But let's say that most of the sessions, but before COVID, of course, after COVID, I changed it a little bit. They involved uh, gamification, whether it's Lego or Play-Doh or clay. Basically, if I'm talking about IoT, for example, with AI, I would start by asking the participants to build physically, let's say, a, a home and transform it into a smart home using um, IoT sensors and even small size sensor, etc., to simulate, let's say, transforming a conventional home into a smart home. And then we add technologies on step by step. So basically, for me, it's like putting different pieces of the puzzle step by step and gradually so that people can absorb and the information as they build it and, and then really touch it and feel it. And, and it's, it's really important to actually make sure that people understand every brick, building brick or building block of the technology, because a lot of people, especially in, in, in when we grow up and disconnected from the educational system, we sometimes find it hard to admit or 
even be, being aware that I'm not really familiar with the technology, IoT, AI, etc. And sometimes culturally, people don't feel comfortable saying I don't understand or and, and, and feel judged. So I, I usually take it really from this zero experience from the start. So I don't assume that anyone would know what it is, and then they build it up with me. And we do it in a gamified way to engage people, whether it's AI, IoT. And, and I think it's very important to, even for people who are technical or non-technical people, to explain the technology really in a very simple way and let them build it so that they can actually understand where can this technology fit in my you know, my customer's experience? How can it improve this? How can it have an impact but I think the the other side is also business modeling, which we also do internally in, in companies, train employees and also our customers externally on business modeling and how what is a business, business model and value proposition canvas, even if they're not sure where they're going to use it. But we show them one side, which is a technology, and the other side, business model, because the innovation is in both sides. Even if locally they don't create, they're not part of an R&D department, understanding the technology can allow them to innovate in the business model because they have the domain know-how of their customers or they are in touch with the customers who have all the pains. And it's digital transformation starts from understanding the real pains and then mapping the technology, AI and other technologies combined to solve and address and alleviate this pain. Yeah, that's true, right? The customer proximity, right? And yes. and it's, it's closeness, right? And and in the end, we're not selling neural networks, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some reason, yeah. Yes. Wow, how inspiring, actually, that approach to really make the thing tangible and provide the people with the right tools so they really grasp the idea and it's also more uh, so closer to them through gamification. That's very cool. Yeah, we're actually continuing that. I transformed actually uh, because, of course, COVID disrupted everything, including the way I was doing the session. And I tried to picture how I would do it now. You know, would they, would they wear gloves and masks and how the experience would be a nice one or not? So I, I, I completely transformed it into a fully digital experience using tools like Miro or Concept Board that we have in Siemens to actually allow the participants have the same experience, but without using Play and Play-Doh, but actually building brick by brick what a smart home would look like, what a smart factory would look like, what a smart hospital would look like. So I take them from a normal hospital with the building blocks, a normal factory with the building blocks, and then I ask them to plug in the different sensors and the data that comes from that sen these sensors and what what can we do with this data and where would IoT and, and AI fit in? And taking doing this move from a normal conventional factory or a, a hospital or, or a hotel or anything to a smart one empowered by technology actually, even if it's just virtually, and it actually empowers participants to understand and really see how a smart X system looks like. What is a self-driven system look like? And what's the added value? And and they would really understand what AI really means because as you said, well, it's people, we've had questions in the sessions, you know, so how much does it cost an AI system? And then how much would it cost if it's this big and this big? So, even the way people understand where AI fits in is still something new because it's a, it's a different type, let's say, of, of technology or for, for them, at least. It's not like an I, one sensor is X, two sensors is X. I'm not going to tell them, depending on the line of code. So this is also something new in, in the mindset of customers that we have to explain. And this is one of the ways I, I try to actually convey that, uh, that message. 
That's really cool. Um, and are there any use cases out there or ideas within Siemens that you're really passionate about and that you maybe tell about in your workshops? There was actually, uh, in one of the sessions that we did externally, actually, about AI that I did externally, we actually, uh, it was about, co you know, COVID and AI and what's the relationship. And I actually discovered something that I did not know, that we have AI-empowered or driven technology, let's say, for uh, identification of COVID. So I actually, I learned about a startup in Egypt that's actually doing it in Egypt. And then when I researched about what Siemens was doing, I found that in Siemens Health and Years, we have an AI-powered detection system for using, of course, CT scans, you know, data to identify in CT scans what cases are COVID and not in an early way, say, in a very, very efficient time and in record time, actually using Siemens technology. Uh, and, and that for me, at the current COVID times we're uh, all living, was something so inspiring and so powerful. So that, that's for me the most inspiring and in, impactful use case in COVID times that we have now that personally I'm very proud to, to find within Siemens. Yeah, I think I thought also to write it because once we were in a situation, I, I felt that, you know, each country, each organization, right, it doesn't matter which, uh, everybody tried to pursue and be innovative, creative, gather collaboration, gather communities together to, you know, supporting robotics in China, printing ventilators, right, as well as obviously health engineers doing, you know, testing and stuff like that. I thought like, that's pretty awesome. Like, this is also a beauty of a large corporation if you have, you know, state in so many verticals and so many aspects and then everybody tries to willing to you know how can we support here these initiatives and tackling the challenges if we come back to ai and a bit of machine learning apart from you know the COVID impact if you what were the last the last let's say three four years if you spawn a bit back what kind of aspects you were fascinated on machine learning which kept you uh, catched your attention or maybe you're like oh that's pretty dope that's pretty awesome that's pretty interesting oh oh uh, that is something you want to test yourself out. Are there certain breakthroughs or, you know, some kinds of demos or uh, innovations you've seen uh, in the field of machine learning or AI that, you know, came to their mind or come to your mind? Actually, yeah, there were some new use cases that for me were shortcuts to investing a lot of money for equipment that I've actually seen being experimented in Siemens and, and actually developed by Siemens. Specifically, let's say if I was very involved in the let's say the Industry 4.0 gap analysis uh, in Egypt in the past year, in collaboration with the German government and Egyptian governments. And one of the Siemens solutions that I personally was really inspired by is how machine learning, if um, installed a software that's empowered by AI on cameras, really simple cameras, can actually how we can teach this the model installed on the camera any movement. And then it's on a production line and then say, okay, so, and then we teach it what are the right movements uh, or whatever you can imagine should happen and should not happen on that production line. And we just teach that camera what are the right you know, pictures and what the right behavior is and what's the wrong one. And we can simulate all different things, how empowering that is and how affordable it is for anyone who has a production line and wants to actually add a digital layer and empower or transform digitally how, uh, the, how the production line processes are and, and to ensure quality, to ensure efficiency and optimize costs without having to rely on extra equipment that is not necessarily manufactured in Egypt 
and is hard to get and costly with the maintenance and training, etc. So for me, when I discovered or read about that and saw it even developed in Siemens, and I was really inspired by that and, and how the impact of AI can really fast forward adoption of Industry 4.0 and digital transformation in the industrial sector, which is one of the key major sectors being developed in Egypt now. After once, Now that the energy sector is mature, the industrial sector is really on the rise now and, and needs such breakthrough technologies and use cases applications of AI. You also mentioned that you are a startup mentor. And so if I came to you and I just started with a startup and I needed advice, what would be like the top three most valuable advice that you could like give people out there that are thinking about starting with a startup or that have already started one? Yeah, definitely. The first thing I would say was let go of the technology you want to use and start with the pain. Validate that pain using, you know, design thinking, methodology, or even the start of it, which is empathy, and really validating that what is the real pain. Because one of the, the things that a lot of startups, you know, start with in is technology. They're, they're like, okay, I want to do an AI. I want to use AI for something. Of course, this is a very noble thing to do, and very definitely using AI can improve and address challenges. But you have to be passionate about a certain pain to do all the effort to solve it. Because it, 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 the start is not just saying, I'm going to do this and that's it. You have to make sure that this is the real pain and not something else that's hidden behind. So that's the first advice I would give. The second thing would be to allow your business model to be challenged, or actually not just allow, but request your business model to be challenged by anyone you can meet. So ask people to try to break your business model down, because by trying to break it down, you save a lot of time later on in the cycle of your startup. And it's not always easy for startups to do that because they start in an incubation program or an accelerator program and they really want to go to the end. And this iteration in the beginning is not always something that they're willing to give time because, as you said also, uh, Uli, you know, if it's an entrepreneur, they're risking a lot of money and time and effort and resources and they have some limited resources sometimes. So that could be one of the reasons they don't necessarily spend enough time in the business model and value proposition canvas. And, and then, then I, the third advice I would give is to make sure and really do really good research about what other alternative solutions are there to make sure that you target, okay, so now you know the pain and you're sure that this is the pain and you have already an idea of the business model, how you will map the right technology to the pain, not just for the sake of saying I'm an AI startup or I incorporate AI, but because AI really takes your idea to the next level. And, and, and makes, it, makes it a real differentiating factor. But I, th I think the third advice would be to make sure that the pain you're addressing is not solved by someone else in a different way. And unless you can really have an added value, then it, it deserves the extra mile. Otherwise, maybe it's better to focus on a pain that's not addressed to really make a, a stronger impact and pave the way to solving that pain and inspiring others to follow you to address this pain. Wow, that's really good advice. Thanks so much for that. So right now we are all facing the corona crisis. It's still very present since months now. 
And maybe Corona could be also seen as being on a tipping point. So we have to adapt somehow to the new normal and we have to decide what is the new normal. So maybe we could also put that uh, into a connection with innovation. So do you think that Corona is either accelerating innovation or like slowing it down? Or is it now the time to go a new path or maybe after the crisis? I definitely see COVID as this. It's such an empowering way to fast forward innovation because it got us all out of our comfort zone in a completely, in a, it's such a fast way that no one expected. And I, I, I want to say the beauty of what happened is that we all found ourselves living the same thing in the same time. So it's not like 10 years gap. It's everyone in the whole world, world, you know, all countries facing the same different challenges, but a lot of similarities, which made a lot of communities connect cross-border online and meet up and events that were run physically that allowed us to, you know, now everyone can attend and participate and share and add value and the diversity of then the people actually, because for me personally, how I see it is diversity is key for innovation. If I'm thinking with people who are like-minded, same culture, same challenges, the same way of thinking, same type of education, I can't reach really the maximum potential that innovation can actually really let me grow to. But this diversity of you know people sharing the same problem, but having completely different backgrounds, completely different cultures, and completely different ways of, of solving things, allowed us really to kind of come together and see, okay, we have these common pains, but we come from different countries and different cultures. And let's try to see what's done here and here and here and work together and form cross-border teams. So for me, this it did something in record time that could have taken more time to actually do, in addition to, of course, getting us out of our comfort zone. So definitely COVID unlocked hidden innovation opportunities in a way that we, we would not have you know, designed to do ourselves by ourselves. You know, we were pushed to do it. And with the urgency of really finding solutions out, there was a passion and a purpose unifying everyone to converge towards the same goal of, of really addressing all the pains faced and caused by COVID. Very well put, actually. <laughs> really nicely, nicely said, actually. I absolutely echo that as well. Yeah. I guess it also has some tooling, and you shared some aspect already, right? Because I guess, you know, doing innovation workshops also, you know, facilitating a lot of aspects, also gamification aspects, right? Have a, a pure major nature in, you know, being physical present in the room, right? <laughs> Building things, right? And this collaboration, right? And and doing things together, I guess, changed, right? And you, you, you mentioned that you, you know, gamification is part of peace, basically, right? On on building products or solution, right? Can you share a couple of those gamifications and and interactive toolings? You know, where they were used, or how how do you use it, and how does it spawn now, being totally digital? Definitely, of course, this was one of the ways that I mean, let's say the, the way I was conducting gamified workshops to reach, you know, certain objectives, business objectives was completely disrupted by COVID. So I'll tell you before and after COVID. So before before COVID, I used different, let's say, tools, but I, I wouldn't call them tools, but I would say it's simple objects and games and toys or really, uh, or Play-Doh. I, I love Play-Doh because you can do anything with it, but I would always try to actually start with creating empathy and raising people's awareness or participants' awareness on whatever, you know, target or goal we want to reach, we have to start by really the pain. So to reveal the pain that we actually all want to solve, we have to start by empathy. 
So I would actually create real life-size games like Monopoly, for example, and transform the Monopoly experience into a, a customized game for Siemens, which we call Sinopoly instead of Monopoly, and uh, put all different for scenarios. Sure. What else? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Siemens, we have a name for everything, and we like to uh, baptize yeah. our uh, as, you know, tools and everything. So I, I did that for our, our Monopoly and had a, a, on an executive level, it's actually a workshop that was using actually, uh, let's say, Monopoly and a real life size environment. So fully gamified game to reach business objectives and simulate. And I embedded in the game all the topics we needed to work on and empathy and created different scenarios. So people actually, I would call it like body storming, which is one of the tools of design thinking to actually live whatever issue you want to solve so to bring it to life and kind of think of ideas and solutions and really connect people to the issues make them feel it once people feel something then they can act upon it so that was my goal and monopoly was one of the ways of doing it in a real life size environment clay and play-doh was another way to actually build something and a lot of role playing with was one of the ways i was making people actually increase the empathy level if I could put it this way so after COVID I found myself not being able to physically interact with people I can't bring the things they can't you know touch play-doh easily at least until now if we don't really feel comfortable doing that yet it's not the same experience so um, I transformed this workshop to an online ver- uh, version uh, of it it still uses the digital collaboration tools that people started to uh, discover. Not everyone was familiar with the online boards like Concept Board and, and, and uh, Miro and other tools. But actually, when people found them, themselves in, let's say, in breakout rooms that are virtual and coming back and forth just from, you know, with opening the camera. So we, it's a semi-contact, let's say, not really physically there, but semi-physically there because we, we can see each other. And I think at the end, it all goes down to how much people smile in the workshop and that was that was my goal is if you're smiling then you're feeling something and whether you're feeling surprised happy engaged you're engaged at some point and that's how people actually when they're all engaged and smiling and excited then magic happens whether it's new ideas to address us the problem we're trying to resolve or the strategy you want to co-define and i think you can design i actually discovered so many games that you can do online and i created like something like the monopoly that's that was physically there that i had printed on a, a room size big huge monopoly i created it online and people would actually play online and have a, this virtual board and everyone is standing but virtually you can see his picture and and they can actually move the thing you know they're around the virtual monopoly or Sinopoly online so I discovered that any tool that you developed physically, you can completely transform it online, which I would have never thought of without COVID. And and it's very time efficient. People are still engaged and it's more time efficient also for people who are on a management level, don't have time to fully dedicate and move and go to another place and et cetera. So in the current COVID times, it's very convenient to, to do that. And I think after COVID, we will still rely a lot on the, these tools, of course, balancing with the physical interaction that's still, of course, and will always be necessary, in my personal opinion, to connect with others. Wow. So hybrid forms, maybe, will be uh, more and more important for the future. But I really like how you said that empathy plays a role in making people really feel like those problems so they can come up with solutions. And that's 
very, very cool perspective. I very recently heard a TED talk about how procrastination, to some extent only, of course, can benefit creativity or innovativeness. But what would you say is it that really drives creativity or innovation? Is it stepping out of the comfort zone, what you already mentioned, or is there something else? I would definitely say that procrastination is a pain that we, at some point, always go through, you know, depending on what task or thing we have to do. So actually, if, if we look at it as some a pain that, you know, we're not always happy we procrastinate. Sometimes we, we're, we want to find a solution. So it is, in my personal opinion, a driver to find a way to solve or do this task that I'm always postponing or achieve it or find an alternative way to reach the objective of this task. So I would personally see it as one way of, of driving new ideas that could be implemented to solve the reason why I'm procrastinating. So it, it's, uh, it would allow us to find, really put technology even more at the service of, of humans to really let us, let's say, focus on the issues we're more passionate about that we would, wouldn't easily procrastinate. Thank you so, so much. Menon, we could talk to you for hours, but we are already at the end of the session. But we, before we call it a day, we have a little game for you. So let me give you, for the closing, a couple of sentence starters, and you just finish. So Siemens is? Siemens is like a canvas where every employee contributes with a different color, and a color added on top of another color even creates a new color. So it's endless. <laughs> Nice. That's beautiful. The power of regions is? Diversity. Love it. Innovation is? Empowered by empathy. Nice. Um, corona has taught me? To enjoy getting out of my comfort zone. and look forward to it. Great. And last but not least, my personal superpower is? Empathy. <laughs> I've used it a lot, but I, I, I really love this. Let's say, I would say skill and way of life. Absolutely. Man, and thank you so much, you know, spending this time with us and being you and being so open, um, being empathic, obviously, right? And <laughs> connecting. Um, we, we really enjoy the time together. And folks out there, stay tuned. There's so much to come. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And you will hear us at the next Siemens Ayala podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.